Hey, Three Crosses family, welcome back to the Going Deeper podcast. This is Pastor AJ on the mic. I oversee life groups and discipleship here at Three Crosses, and we are in our New Year 2024 series called Let's Go. Today, we're going to be talking about let's go and make some Christian friends. We're going to be looking at John 13, verses 34 to 35. So if you have a Bible, open it up, follow along with us. we got a great conversation in store with that. Let's go deeper. Joining us to talk about John 13 and what it's like to make some Christian friends is Pastor Danny Strange. Pastor Danny, welcome back. And uh, I just realized that the ser- the series title, Let's Go, was in the introduction. Let's go, go deeper. deeper. <laughs> it's good to have you. Thanks for uh, preaching on Sunday. Oh, thanks for preaching last Sunday. Happy New Year to you. Oh man, Happy New Year. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a good year, 2024. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of, a lot of good stuff in store. But uh, yeah, right now we're in this Let's Go series. I love the title. It's just. Uh, gets me hyped up. Let's go. Let's go do something. Let's make some Christian friends. And so we pulled from John 13 verses 34 to 35. I want to read it to you and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll go deeper. So a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, short and sweet, succinct, very talented. Jesus was at shortening and uh, making it powerful. But The question is going to be about context. Again, we're jumping into the middle of the book of John, John 13. And uh, yeah, anytime we do that, we always want to take the time to uh, orient ourselves. And so, Pastor Danny, can you help us orient ourselves around John 13? Uh, What's going on up to this point? Uh, What does the author John bring to the table in his gospel account? And um, yeah, how can the background of the book of John help us understand this particular command that's so potent, so powerful, how can we understand it better? Yeah, in terms of 40,000 foot, John's written by John, who <laughs> refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And uh, this, this is the part of the gospel where John's kind of slowing down to really flesh out all that happened on the night Jesus was betrayed. And so in just a number of chapters, he covers washing the disciples' feet, the Last Supper, uh, this moment of conversation, the abide in me and you'll bear much fruit conversation, uh, that all of these different things are happening. And so John is kind of like walking like like through molasses through this evening because so much powerful stuff is happening. So that's kind of where we are in the life of Christ is it's right before his betrayal and while he's having his final words. So we kind of have to read these as like Jesus' last words to his disciples at the same time, there are two parallel conversations happening in John 12 through 17, 18, 19 Seven, or so. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, one is what Jesus is trying to bring across, right? My final words, love one another, uh, which really John takes to heart and starts preaching all the time. But then we see, especially with Peter, this pushback and others uh, just saying like, wait, hold on. Kind of like pause you're not going to die, right? right? So, uh, there's this the whole interchange about, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back for you, but let me give you a new command. And they're like, wait, hold on. Like, 
where are you going? How are we supposed to get there? You can't leave us. And so Jesus keeps having to come back and detour through like, it's okay. It's good that I'm leaving. This is the plan. And then he keeps trying to go back to like, but I need you to remain in my love and remain in each other. So we see Jesus trying to give his final words and the disciples just keep raising their hands and interrupting him <laughs> saying like, but wait, you can't leave, right? And so two things are happening at once. And so even this concept of, I give you a new command, love one another. It almost gets initiated here and even before as they wash one another's feet. But then even then, it's like we see Peter say like, no, you know. Uh, and so we see it getting de derailed. And so this, this starts here and it comes up again, like in chapter 17, as Jesus prays for the believers, that's his biggest prayer is that we would be unified, that we'd have love for one another. And so this is the last point Jesus is trying to nail down. And fortunately, John heard and wrote it down for us because it seems like the other disciples' minds, understandably, were in a different place. What a great memory to be able to say, oh, and this is when the conversation derailed. So <laughs> I can almost hear uh, Jesus saying, like, let's go. He's the one who's saying, let's go. So uh, yeah, thanks for that context. That, that illuminates a lot of things because I was looking at John 15 earlier and, you know, I was like, I could have sworn you took the John 13 passage that we studied and brought it in in John 15, because it's like the same thing. So that kind of helps my mind process like what's going on. So uh, I really want to break down the the sentence or two that he gives, this new command he gives. And beginning with that first section, a new command I give you, love one another. And I want to start off with that first word, new. Uh, is this a new command? Uh, because when I look at the Bible, I, I kind of see the, the theme of loving people all over. And so what is going on there? Because I think uh, when I first read this, I was, of course, as you guys know, thinking through the lens of the a skeptic, skeptic. Yeah. <laughs> a skeptic, uh, if you were listening to the Christmas episode, the skeptic stalking, I guess. But um, if I were to look at this, I would say that Jesus is giving something new Okay, so that means it didn't exist before, and so Jesus is inaugurating this new thing, loving one another. Perhaps this could fuel the worldview that Jesus came to love, and God the Father in the Old Testament came to be strict, uh, to, to punish, to judge. So um, what does he mean by new, and, and how would you talk to somebody who holds the belief that, yeah, God in the Old Testament seems just totally radically different than Jesus in the New Testament with this ethic of loving one another. I would try to answer those questions very efficiently by saying, I can answer them both with the same example. Uh, I, I kind of feel for the disciples here because I feel like if I was a disciple and Jesus said, a new command I give you, I'd be like, oh, you know, like I'd pull out my like notebook, like ready to write down that yeah. it says, love one another. It's like, wait, that's not new, right? And so... It's not new in that sense. Uh, it's it's not new because, like you said, AJ, loving one another has been in the fabric of the scripture since day one. The reason I would say that the God of the Old Testament isn't about wrath and the God of the New Testament, Jesus, is about love is because the last time I could think of Jesus talking about this command to love one another is when he's talking to the rich young ruler who asks, what much I do to inherit eternal life? He says, love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. So it's like Jesus is establishing that the law of the Old Testament is about love, love the Lord, and love, love your neighbor. And so same God, Old Testament, same God, New Testament, both about loving God, loving neighbor. So loving each other isn't a new commandment in that sense. So we have to ask the question, 
what makes it new? And I, and I can think, you know, we don't know exactly what he means by that. There, there's a number of things that are new about Jesus' teaching. One, when Jesus talks about loving your enemies, um, that is not new, but is definitely like a, a re-up of what we see in the Old Testament. Right? You've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's not in the Old Testament. But they did interpret the Old Testament to say we should love our neighbor and hate our enemy. And so... Jesus has re-upped what it means to love throughout the Gospels. And here, one of what he's re-upping is he's looking around at the disciples and saying, I want you to love each other. And so I think, number one, he's saying, when you're thinking about who is in the inner circle, it is no longer the people who are part of the Jewish faith tradition. It is no longer your synagogue leaders. It is no longer those who grew up uh, in the Old Testament context. It is the disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the community where love primarily is meant to be shared within the New Testament covenant community. We see that uh, earlier when Jesus is taking them through the communion meal and says this cup is the new covenant in my blood, right? He's establishing a new covenant, which is a new covenant community. So part of what's new about this command is these are the people that you're commanded to love. The second thing that seems that's new in this command is Right? He says, love each other as I have loved you. And we are seeing throughout John 13 through the end, what love looks like by the definition of Jesus. It's servant-minded, washing one another's feet. It's laying your life down for your friends, being willing to go to the cross so that your friends might have life. And so I think he's renewing not just who to love within your inner circle, but he's also renewing what is love? Love is sacrificing yourself for the sake of others, which people have made much of the word agape, agapao in the Greek New Testament, this idea of a self-sacrificing love that's others-oriented, and which I would say is probably the same as like the covenant love in the Old Testament, but Jesus really puts a spotlight on the service aspect and self-sacrificing aspect of what true love really is. Let's double down on that conversation because I think uh, as we're trying to define what Jesus is saying here, uh, that's the second word that stands out is love. And this is, uh, again, a word that Jesus used frequently, and yet a word that our culture seems to have, you know, a lot of confusion about, a lot of takes on what exactly is love. And so you kind of gave, uh, uh, casted a vision of, of what the biblical definition of this agape term is, love. I'm wondering if you could, you know, think through the lens of our culture. Where do we, where do we get love wrong? What are some of the, the, the hurdles that we face when we are trying to love in the biblical way? And what are some of the misunderstandings that, you know, um, we here in the East Bay live out and we think we may we might be loving somebody, but really we've bought into this idea of a worldly type of love rather than a biblical type of love. So I guess the question boils down to what is the difference between what Jesus is trying to say when he uses the term love and uh, what we've kind of created in our own uh, definition of love? I think in our culture today, it's kind of hard to pin down what love is. So a lot of times I think about emotional love or these different types of love. I think trying to map it to what the scriptures are teaching, that the closest thing we see in our community today is love is described as maybe do no harm or to accept someone as they are or to affirm them and who they want to be, right? And so we'd say that, you know, if, if your child wants to be an artist, right? Hating them would say, no, you need to go into finance. And loving them would say, you live your dream, honey, right? That's what love is, is, you know, you, you be you, you live your life, you 
do what you want to do. Um, and that, that comes in all different flavors and types and all of that. But it's really, we want to affirm people and their own choices. And that's what love looks like, I would say, reductionistically in our culture. In the scriptures, love is about acting in someone's best interest, even when they don't believe it, right? And so it's really easy to think like with a child, when a child is going to eat candy all day, the loving thing to do is say, no, you need to eat your vegetables, right? That's biblical love, um, which I don't think people in our culture today would say that children should eat candies all day and live their truth. But I think this is part of where the culture's definition of love starts to break down is in the scriptures. The scriptures lay out, this is what it means to live life righteously and loving someone is helping them to live life righteously and doing what's in their best interest, right? And so a controversial passage, Romans chapter 9, God says, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Mm. That does not mean that God had emotional positive feelings towards Jacob and he just had negative icky feelings towards Esau. What that means is that God acted in Jacob's best interest. He, uh, he helped him to flourish and he cooperated with the vision that Jacob had for flourishing in his life. For Esau, God acted in a way that took him down a path of destruction, cooperating with what Esau really wanted in his life. And so there's this, this idea that love is acting towards someone's good and hatred is acting towards someone's ill. And so I think the Jesus definition combines two things. One, it's acting in someone's best interest. And then two, even when it means sacrificing yourself. And so Jesus' death on the cross was a, the purest act of love because it was in the, the, for the good of all who would believe in him, but it also was an ultimate act of sacrifice of himself, that he lost all things so that we might experience flourishing. And so I, I think to understand biblical love, we need to understand it, it means promoting someone else's best interest, even if it means sacrificing our own well-being. Yeah, I love that. It's, uh, he doesn't give us a dictionary. He gives us a person and an action where we can see Jesus on the cross and and grasp what this biblical love looks like. And uh, and I'll interrupt yeah. you real quick. Even it's one of the most confusing phrases in the Bible. John says, "Greater love has no one than this." It's like that sentence doesn't even make sense. Right. What is greater love has no one than this? It's like, <laughs> but it's what you're saying. Like the example is a person. Like it's it's not greater love has no def better definition than this. Has right, no right. one than this that he lays down his life for his friends. And so even as John struggles to define love, he says, "Like I want you to think of a person, one person named Jesus, and mm -hmm. this is what he did as an example for us." Yeah, I'm thinking of, you know, as we're breaking down this first sentence, you know, a lot of people say you can't go deeper on like two sentences, but... Oh, you can. I disagree. If anyone can, you can, <laughs> but we can. Oh, man, we got this. Uh, as we're continuing to break down semantically this sentence, um, I'm thinking of the recipients of this kind of love, you know, uh, laying down your life, doing, acting in the best interests, and the phrase is loving one another. And presumably here, he's speaking to his disciples, as you were saying. He's talking with Peter, James, John, whoever's in that area, talking, preparing them for what's about to come. And he's saying, hey, a new command I give you guys, love one another, right? Love one another. And I could see how this could easily be interpreted as like, okay, um, what Jesus is calling me to do is have a deep love and affection for my fellow believers, for fellow disciples, for fellow church members, for church goers. And uh, one of the things that I know we've talked about on the podcast before, but uh, so often we see uh, Christians coming to Christ and essentially foregoing all outside relationships 
in favor of loving the body, loving the body of Christ and, and loving one another. And so um, it, it flies into, it stands in stark contrast to uh, some of the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount where it says, love your enemies. So what does he mean by one another? Is he saying, hey, only within this circle love one another? Is he saying, hey, there actually is something special about the love of the church? Or is he saying like, hey, one another is essentially not only you guys, but look around you guys, like love one another. What is that one another? <laughs> I do think, and this might get me into trouble, but I do think that what he's saying is that the two things, one, the primary place that we are called to show love is within the covenant community called the church. Mm-hmm. And two, we are going to have a deeper, truer, and pure, purer expression of love within the church context than outside the church context. I do not think that means that we are not called to love our enemies and love those outside the church and love everyone. We're supposed to love everybody. But I also don't think it means equally that it's like, oh, we just love everyone. That our love, just like with our family, we're supposed to, we're called to love our wives differently than love other women. We're called to love our children differently than other people's children. Like there's a, a localized, you know, focus of where our love is supposed to be demonstrated which is not just my opinion. That's what we see in the scriptures, right? We see in uh, the pastoral epistles. It says, do good to all, especially those who belong to the household of God. So there's this especially, right? Or Jesus is the savior of all mankind, especially to those who believe, right? So it's, hey, Jesus' death on the cross is available to all people, but it's especially available to those who've called upon him, right? So Safeway is the grocery store for all of Castro Valley, especially (laughs) those who shop there, you know? and so I do think there's this localized love that Jesus is focusing on that we even see like in the Sermon on the Mount or other places where he talks about loving your enemies, right? We see this, uh, he says, love your enemies, uh, bless those who curse you, pray for those who persecute you. And so you see this picture of the more aggressive your enemy becomes against you, the more distanced you are in the love you have mm. for them. Those who mm. are actively persecuting you, you're praying for those folks, mm-hmm. right? As right. they're over there. Right. Those who are throwing curses at you, you're blessing them with your words in return reciprocally. And yet those who are in your life, you're loving them reciprocally. And so we always respond with love to whatever comes our way. And we respond with love even when we don't receive love in return. But I would say throughout the scriptures and especially the New Testament here, we, we see that there is a different intimacy and category of love that is reserved for the brothers and sisters we have in Christ, which I think is what Jesus is primarily pointing out here, which is why the whole topic of this sermon is let's make some Christian friends because yes, love everyone, love all your coworkers, love all the people who love you. But there's a different type of love that we're called to demonstrate for those who are within the church of Jesus Christ. I think the the sentence that follows is one of the most impacting sentences that is stated by Jesus here. It says, by this, by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It seems to carry this weight of uh, if you act a certain way, people are going to see the way you interact as the body, loving one another in this particular way. And then people will know that you are my disciples. Such a fascinating uh, tool of witness here and uh, such an a, a intriguing gauge of how to know if someone's a disciple. 
And that's the question I want to ask you, because when I read this sentence, it felt like at the very end, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. I feel like if that was like a blank line, I don't know if I would have put that in there. (laughs) I think there might be some things in my life that I would want to throw into that blank. Um, And I got to imagine in our congregation, there are a lot of people that are still trying to figure out what goes in that blank. What does it mean for me to be a disciple? What does it mean for me to show the world that I'm a disciple if I blank? And so um, in your pastoral experience, what do you see us uh, as God's people filling in that blank with? And what are some of the dangers of anything else but loving one another in that blank? Yeah, that's a, I mean, it's a powerful sentence, and this is a fantastic thought experiment. Uh, and maybe we all fill that blank differently, but I'm thinking of people I know in, not in our church necessarily, but in the church of Jesus Christ, who would fill that blank in by saying, the world will know we are, the world will know I am a disciple of Jesus Christ when I show them that I've conquered the sins of my past. Right. So, man, I used to be messed up. I used to be on drugs. I used to be addicted. I used to be in jail, but I've changed. And when the world sees that I've changed, they're going to believe that Jesus is real because they can see the transformative work of the gospel in me. I think that's how someone might fill in the blank. I could see someone say, the world will know I'm a disciple of Jesus because I'm at church all the time. <laughs> right? So it's like, <laughs> I have a small group at my house. I go up to the church. I, you know, I, I'm always active. I'm the real deal. They'll know I'm a Christian because I'm always at church. Or they might say, hey, the world will know that I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ because I talk about Jesus all the time. I'm I'm always telling them about Christ. I'm always inviting them to church. I'm always reading my Bible in front of them. I'm always telling them what I'm learning. And all these things are good things. It's good to live a holy, transformed life. It's good to go to church. that, That was last week's sermon, right? It's good. But I think it's remarkable and significant that Jesus does not fill in the blank that way. He says, the world will know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another which I would guess, of all the examples I mentioned, this is the hardest one. Right? <laughs> it's a lot easier to read your Bible and live a transformed life even and go to church than it is to sacrificingly serve the people in your church body, especially those that are completely unlike you. So I, I would think, right, you've got a neighbor living next door to you who sees you putting on nice clothes and go to church every Sunday, or maybe who sees you that you're a good guy, or sees you that you're always putting Christian stickers on your car, is that going to transform him? As much as your neighbor seeing that you're the person who always has homeless folks over for Thanksgiving or who has, uh, is always giving their stuff away to people who are in need or the person who's always, hey, I got to go. I'm helping this person fix their roof today because her husband passed away and she needs my help or whatever. Like these are the types of things where it's like, wait, what, what are you doing on your day off? What? It's like, well, this is what we do. I love this person. It's like, is that your sister? It's like, well, kind of. It's my sister in Christ. It's somebody from my church. You know, it's like what Jesus says is there is no greater apologetic to the reality and truth of the gospel and the presence of Christ in us than the love that we express for our brothers and sisters in the context of the local church. So that means you could incorporate this to the Three Crosses Go class. If you want to do evangelism, start by loving, self-sacrificially loving uh, the members of the body of Christ that you're a part of. I'm trying to think of like, what, what would I fill in the blank with? 
and I've come to the conclusion that my fill in the blank would be if you acquire enough knowledge huh. or if you, um, yeah, I resonate with the conquering of sins one a lot. Um, so th- yeah, it seems like a lot of them, um, there are a lot of them out there, but the common denominator is a lot of them are uh, solo tasks. You know, you're not doing it with anybody but yourself. You're trying to like muster up the energy or, you know, courage or whatever it is to accomplish something on your own. And yet loving one another is just so foreign. So I have two final questions for you. Um, and both of them are getting really practical. So as you're saying, uh, loving one another is extremely hard. And it only gets elevated by having a church full of people that are just so different from one another. And that's one of the beauties of Three Crosses is that like you look around and it is beautifully diverse. And yet the challenge is with the diversity comes a lot of differences, a lot of, you know, fill in the, I mean, for lack of a better word, fill in the blank again. Like there's so many um obstacles that we have to loving one another. So um, as you're sitting as the senior pastor of Three Crosses Church, which has been commended by, I remember last year we had, um, what's his name? Dave Runyon. Dave Runyon. He came in and what he made the observation is, he said, I've gone to so many churches around the country. I want you to know the blessing you have of this extremely diverse church. Like what a blessing it is, what a challenge it is. And so as a senior pastor, what are some of the encouragements you can give to us as we sort of navigate those challenges? And uh, how would you want to speak to this um, endeavor of loving one another? Yeah, wow. Uh, <laughs> Broad but, question. Yeah, I, think, I mean, I th- on one hand, I think there's a beauty of the diversity of the church that is expressed when we simply spend time with one another. So we, we mentioned that example of like your neighbor is going to know you're a Christian because of your love for the church. Part of that is your neighbor comes over and says, I've never seen this before. Like you got all these, you got old people coming over, young people coming over, black people coming over, white people coming over, Spanish speaking people coming, English people. Like where are all your friends coming from? Like that is one of those like <laughs> mysteries of like, where did you find this community? Right. And so part of the challenge there is even in a church that's as diverse as ours with all these categories and more, I think a lot of us need to audit our lives, including ourselves, to say, does that rubber meet the road in our own lives, right? Do we pride ourselves on having a diverse church, but everyone in my small group is of the same age and, right, same age and race and language and financial background and whatever, fill in the blank, is me? Uh, Or is the diversity of our church reflected in our actual friendship community? And I, I would guess that for many people, they might say, well, what's difficult about that is I just more easily get along better with people who are just like me, right? I like to go on vacation with people who have the same amount of money as me. And I like to hang out with people who have the same interests as me. And I like to talk to people who speak the same language as me or whatever it is, right? Again, fill in the blank. Uh, And I would encourage you, if that's you, to open your mind a little bit to what Jesus is saying is, yes, it takes work. And yes, it's beautiful. But there's a remarkable power in building loving relationships across diverse community in a way that can only happen within the context of the local church. And I would just 
not caution you, but warn you, I guess, for anyone who's interested in stepping into loving your neighbor well. Part of what's difficult about this, whether the person is similar to you in background or not, is when we decide that we're just going to commit ourselves to the body of Christ in the church, we're all a bunch of weirdos, right? And so it's like, (laughs) That's, you know, they always say like, well, hey, the nice thing about friends, you could pick your friends, but you can't pick your family. Some of us have these families that have a bunch of weirdos in them. And we're like, I just like to hang out with my friends. <laughs> the church kind of inverts that where it's like, no, now the church is your family, which means even the like weird people, the people with a variety of educational backgrounds or um, financial backgrounds or sin backgrounds or sin presence or whatever it is, like this is your family. And so what does it look like to make this your family? Not pick and choose the people you like. Because to quote Jesus, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even the sinners and tax collectors can do that. Mm. But, right, I'm not saying the church is your enemy, but uh, I think what, what we'll see is if we try to lean into loving our church well, uh, it's going to be difficult, but it's also a, a beautiful thing. I, I think of somebody I talked to the other day who was just having a really tough time with a friend at church. And she was in a season where she was like starting to distance herself from her friend at church. And I just said, you know what? The more I pray about it, the more I feel like I, I need to just release this anger and irritation. And I need to just learn to embrace and be for this person because they're my sister in Christ. And something on the other side of that repentant decision changed in the nature of their relationship and I can look at these people now and be like, oh my gosh, that's a, that's a testament to the power of God in them. Same time, I talked to somebody else who a couple of weeks ago who was struggling because there's someone in the church that just keeps complaining to them and complaining to them and complaining to them over and over again. And they're like, I just can't handle all this complaining all the time. What do I do, right? And, and it's like the temptation is to distance yourself from that person. And I said, hey, well, you can distance yourself from that person, but you probably need to be clear with them to just say, hey, if you're just going to gossip and complain to me all the time. I'm the wrong person to talk to. Go talk to the person you're mad at. And if you want to talk to me, me and you can go talk to that person together, but we're going to stop this complaining here and we're going to go resolve it. And we're going to build together the bonds of unity within the church. Uh, And that's a, a difficult but beautiful thing. And I think as we talk about this, of all the different warnings and commands in the New Testament around maintaining unity and stomping out roots of bitterness and forgiving one another and bearing with one another in love and carrying one another's burdens, like over and over and over again, it is commanded of us to, to love one another in a variety of ways. And I think it all just hinges on this phrase from Jesus in John 13, which is, the love we have for one another is the most power, powerful testament of the truth of the gospel. And so this is the one thing we've got to get right. You tapped into, I think, what I've experienced as the, the life groups and discipleship pastor uh, is some of the biggest challenges is just so countercultural to what uh, everything about the Bay Area and life here in the East Bay is just screaming for us to do is just to stay busy, to, to spend time isolated with, with, if you have family, you have family, but, um, man, it is such a sacrifice to, um, make time and then actually make physical space for community, for doing this type of thing. But at the same time, I look at scriptures and even, you know, there was a sermon last week that 
I don't know if it was good or not, but is, uh, is this the one that you, is this the one that you preached? Yeah, yes. okay. <laughs> um, that talked about Hebrews 10, and it had those three let us statements, let us approach the throne in boldness, let us hold unswervingly to the faith, and then unexpectedly, let us continue to meet each other until the day draws near. Like it's just being elevated uh, to this important level. You know, so many times we talk about justification, sanctification, and then like community gets like thrown as an add-on, but it seems like it's right there, right next to him. And then even thinking about John 17 here, John 17, this same motif gets gets analyzed or, or spoken at the end of Jesus's prayer. It says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them, all the believers may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. So there it is again, this, this loving community that's unified. And then it says, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So there's that conclusion again, that this community, this, this loving relationship, loving one another in this church community is at like the tail end of where this thing is all headed. And yet here we are in a culture that's fighting against that so drastically. Um, my question to end this episode, what is Jesus seeing that's making him say these kind of things where, hey, it's all about loving one another. It's all about getting together in this church body that can witness by the way you love one another. What is the author of Hebrews seeing that, hey, it's it's about approaching the bold and, and bo- approaching the throne in boldness. It's about holding unswervingly to the faith, and it's about connecting with one another. Like those are the three conclusions he makes. Like what are they seeing? What is the theology that they're seeing that maybe we're missing? I think you, you hit the the nail on the head a, a while back when we were talking about it's a lot easier to fill in the blanks with individualized things. I think what what Jesus reminds us of constantly is that Christianity is not an individualistic religion, right. which I think is this is probably one of the hardest times and eras and geographic locations in the history of the world to believe this because America is all about independence, free choice, my life, like don't tread on me, right? This idea (laughs) where it's like Christ's message was tread on me, you know? Uh, And I, I think over and over again, what we see in the New Testament is the church, the description of the church in the New Testament is literally a body. Like we are, the eye can't say the hand, I don't need you. Like you are one body. He says in the marriage relationship, you belong to one another. You are one body. And so I, I think that is a lesson that we're going to constantly need to remind ourselves that in the church, even when I serve someone across the aisle from me in church, it's not because I need to love someone else. It's because they're me in some way, that we are inextricably connected, mm-hmm. that right. when we are saved, we are saved into the covenant community and Jesus says the model he gives is the Trinity is that I exist as one God in three persons, right? right? Three crosses exists as one church in 4,000 persons or whatever it is, right? Mm -hmm. Like we are one. And so neglecting someone who has nowhere to go on Thanksgiving or Christmas or not helping someone uh, who needs help moving or not going across the hall and saying hi to somebody who's feeling lonely would be as silly as not, 
eating yourself on Thanksgiving or like, you know, like, um, and so it, it is the, what he's part of what he's trying to get into our minds is the reason you do it is it's because you're one. And so, I mean, that's when you look at Paul's writings and he says, it's, you don't have to think about feeding yourself. Like, why do you have to think about loving your believer? If you really understood what this meant, you wouldn't have to think about it. That's just what we do is we right. love one another. And so, I mean, wouldn't it be great to get to a point where our answer is, well, this is just what we do, you know? And there's a, there's a ton of amazing stories. I, I think of, I've talked to social workers in the past who've called me because they're working with somebody who's schizophrenic or bipolar or fill in the blank um, in the social services realm. And they find out they're part of our church and they're part of a life group here. And, and they're just like, hey, your church is doing so much to wrap this person into community, right? We want you to be part of this team that's wrapping around this person and serving them. It's like, well, yeah, they're, they're one of us, right? And, and they're thinking like, I've never had this, a, a case like this that's one of somebody. Like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think about somebody last year who passed away in our church who her father was not a believer and I don't think ever came to faith in Jesus as far as I know. Uh, but she started coming to her our church at a, a pretty young age, like youth group, young adults ministry, and um, a lot a lot of special needs and social stuff and mental stuff going on. And and yet the church wrapped around her and loved her really well. And the the reason we found out it was remarkable to her dad is her dad ended up making the church the sole beneficiary of their entire estate. Wow. And he said you know, this church has loved my daughter with special needs so well her entire life mm. that when I pass away, I, I want everything to be for her. And then when she passes away, I want everything to go to this church that can care for people like they've mm. cared for her. Wow. And it's like, I don't know if he became a believer through all that, but that was a story of like, he knew we were the real deal because of our love for someone that we didn't have to love. She's not our biological family. Like she's his biological family. Um, but the world knew that we were the disciples of Jesus. There was something about us that was legitimately real because we loved someone. We didn't have to, but we chose to, not because she had anything to offer us, um, but because she's one of us and we love each other. That's what we do in the church. You might be inspired by the series title, Let's Go. You <laughs> might be wanting to do something. And so a uh, couple of recommendations here. Uh, community Night is right around the corner, yes. January 31st. We got some exciting plans for Community Night. So come on out. Uh, you can p- be a part of 3C Equip, a parents class, or um, Rooted, which is a-, a great option for if you're just new to all of this. Um, we got life groups that run year-round, essentially. So um, if you're interested in that, feel free to reach out. And so there are ways that we're trying to facilitate this to happen, even though it's extremely difficult in our culture. Um, But hey, when people jump into these things, we see something catalyzed in their faith that um, they wouldn't have otherwise experienced. And so there's something extremely beautiful about community, um, this encouragement, this growth that we see. And so, uh, yeah, we'd encourage anybody that that comes to Three Crosses to get connected in community. And one way you can do that, another way that we're promoting in this series, is by downloading our app. And so when you download our app, you'll see some different things that we're calling people to. Um, and this is the second one, getting connected in community. We've seen Attend Church get connected in community. This is just going to be a great way um, to make a large church start to feel a little bit smaller. And that's our, our goal is to, to get you connected so that you can feel like this is actually not just a bunch of peers coming together, but actually a family. And so we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to help you on your journey. And um, 
Pastor Danny, thank you for this challenging uh, message to love one another. Uh, it's just so packed, even though we talked about like three sentences. But uh, hey, let's go. Let's go. <laughs>